You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Good morning. You know, I find it fascinating. Matt is such a wonderful musician, and the whole team is just fantastic. Um, he said something about his wordiness. That's probably not the right terminology, but he is a fast learner. If you notice this morning's announcements took about three plus minutes. This morning when he made the announcement, he says, I'm only going to take 20 seconds. So um, anyway, uh, as you can tell from your astute powers of observation, I am not Eric Barton. Or am I? I'm so excited to be here today. I did that during first service. I, I thought it was cute, and I apologized to Eric for it. And I guess since I did it a second time, I'm sinful. Um, <laughs> look, uh, I don't know if you realize this or not, but two days ago, it was two years ago that um, Eric had his heart attack. Um, so it was kind of that anniversary, plus you know his recent nosebleed fiasco that he suffered not too long ago, and. If you're tracking, they had a lot of issues with their house. Uh, and so with all those trials, and, and on, the, on the positive side, he and his lovely bride, Susan, celebrated their wedding anniversary uh, this week. So with all that in mind, they did one of those Southwest Airline getaway thingies, and uh, they decided to get away from it all for a few days. So Eric and Susan, if you're watching or listening, just know that we love you. Uh, we'll be praying for you and, and wish, you, wish you rest during this time. In case we haven't met, my name is Scott Gill, one of the elders here at the downtown campus of Bethel Bible Church, and we are truly excited that you're here uh, worshiping with us today. And, and we like to say here that, you know, we don't think it's an accident that you're here. Through God's sovereignty, being drawn by His Spirit, we, we gather here as a body of Christ to, to praise Him through song, prayer, and through the study of His Word. And that's where we're going to head now. So if you'll just pray with me one more time, we will open up his word and, and study it. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we are indeed thankful for this day. <clears throat> we are thankful, thankful, Lord, for your word uh, and what you have revealed, as James said, who you are and, and what you have done, Lord. And uh, we just ask for illumination as we open your word. Uh, Lord, I ask for clarity of thought. I ask for clarity of speech. And Lord, I just pray that your people hear a much, much better sermon than the one preached. In Christ's name, amen. So, do me a big favor. If you've got your cell phone with you today, can you take it out? Take it out, turn it to Luke chapter 1. If you're old school like me, just pull out your Bibles. You can do the same thing, turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 26 through 55. That's right, 26 through 55. I need to speak as fast as Eric, don't I? Um, so let me give you just a little bit of on-ramp as you open up your Bibles. Remember this fall, we were working our way through the Gospel of John, uh, and then we took a break during the Advent season. Uh, two weeks ago, Eric preached on The Gift. It's a sermon series entitled The Gift, The Gift to the Magi. Last week, he preached The Gift to the Shepherds. Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, The Gift to Mary. And then next week, God willing, Eric will come back and conclude our um, Advent series, The Gift to Us. So please come back next week for that. 
Here's how I'd like to proceed this morning. We don't have the time to fully exposit 30 verses of Scripture. Now, that's just, just an impossibility. So we're going to do a survey over these 30 verses. I'm going to break it down into two parts. The first part, actually, they're, they're kind of two different scenes. If you kind of looked at the narrative as two scenes, the first scene takes place in Nazareth. That's part one, where we see the gift. Scene two takes place in a small town in Judah, where we see Mary's response to the gift. Part one, the gift. Part two, response, Mary's response to the gift. So, I feel a little bit today like a little drummer boy. Um, I have no movie or cartoon clip to show. Pa-rum-pum-pum-pum. I have no unsung Christmas carol to sing. Pa-rum-pum-pum-pum. But what I do hope is, is what, what comes clear out of today's scripture reading um, is our big idea for the day, and that's this. Joy springs forth from a receptive heart. Joy springs forth from a receptive heart. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're perhaps in a, a time of trial or suffering or persecution or not, joy springs forth from a receptive heart. So open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1. Um, we'll go to scene 1 uh, in Nazareth. And I want to try to read through this uh, and bring as much content and context to the Scripture as I possibly can. Like I said, we've got 30 verses, and so we're going to have to uh, plow through this uh, fairly quickly. <clears throat> so let me begin. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So in the sixth month, we get a time marker right away, and then I think the context clearly points to the forward and, and backward uh, Luke here is talking about the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Okay, keep in mind Luke was a physician. All right, the angel Gabriel, who was introduced to us back in verse 11 of chapter 1, when Gabriel visited Zechariah when he was serving in the temple. If you remember, if you recall that story, Gabriel goes to Zechariah and informs him that in his old age, uh, Elizabeth's old age and in her barren state, they would conceive a child and they would name him John. And I think what's fascinating about names is Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. Elizabeth, God's covenant, John, Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh remembers his covenant and is gracious. Isn't that a great family name? So the Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, this is fascinating. Old Testament scripture was pointing towards, we're getting close, getting near to the time when the Messiah would come. And God chooses Nazareth of all places. Galilee. Galilee was not liked by the Judeans. It was Galilee of the Gentiles. Ugh. Nazareth, more despised. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Yet God chooses an obscure village, and he chooses an obscure woman. Verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Because I think right here up front at the beginning of verse 27 it says to a virgin. I think we need to kind of keep this in mind as we work through today's passage. To a virgin. First of all, she was sexually pure. Keep that in mind. She was sexually pure. Secondly, she was betrothed to a man. She was engaged to be married. Sexual purity was a big deal to the Hebrew, to an engaged Hebrew. 
The third thing to keep in mind here is when you look at the culture of that time, Mary was very likely a young teenager, perhaps as young as 13. So she was this young woman betrothed to be married, living with her parents while Joseph lived with his parents until that marriage was consummated. And I don't want you to lose sight of this, this, this whole thing with, with the virgin. First of all, it, it fulfills scripture. If you turn to Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, if somebody here wants to argue that the Hebrew word for virgin here is, is young lady or even uh, uh, the implication of the Greek that Luke writes about, uh, the virginity of a young woman, I want you to keep this thought in mind. Mary, as we'll see contextually, was a devout Jew. Um, she would have been very familiar with the Mosaic Law. She would have been very familiar with the penalty for having um, sexual misconduct. It would mean death. It would mean stoning. And so uh, I think virgin is, is absolutely the right thing to keep in mind here as we go through this, this scripture because we're going to see something that's really amazing, something that unfolds. So she is betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Now, yes, Jesus' father was the Holy Spirit, okay? But his earthly father was Joseph. So what this established was his legal line to David, and then it says, and the virgin's name was Mary. And I think when you get to Luke chapter 3, you see the lineage that there. I interpret that as Mary's, Mary's lineage, different than what you see in Matthew. And I think that establishes Jesus' bloodline to David. So from a legal standpoint, from a bloodline standpoint, Jesus is heir to the throne of David. And then we continue in verse 28. Gabriel speaks. He says, Greetings, or rejoice. Greetings, O favored one, the one on whom God has shown grace, he's shown blessing, he's shown kindness, he's shown unmerited favor. Every Jewish woman at the time was just praying to be the mother of the Messiah. And Gabriel says, Greetings, O favored one. Now, I do want to take a little bit of a time out here. I think the Greek is very clear. I mean, you, you, it's rendered... Um, one uh, who is endowed with grace, one who is uh, endued with grace. Whereas if you look at the Latin, Latin translation in the Vulgate, it says one full of grace. And, and we hear a lot of that this time of year, Mary full of grace, that, that sort of thing. Um, it's okay if you interpret that to mean one full of grace as in grace which has been received. Uh, but I don't think contextually, nor do I think systematically or theologically, uh, it takes on the meaning that one in which grace is bestowed to others. So she receives grace. She receives the gift of God's amazing grace. So Gabriel says, uh, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So we're going to see Gabriel start to use a lot of Old Testament language. The Lord is with you. Uh, if you have your Bibles open to Joshua uh, chapter 1, verse 9. I'll just read it. It says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Uh, in Zephaniah uh, 3.17, it says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. Mary would have known and understood some of this Old Testament language. But the camera now pans back to Mary. Verse 29 says this, but she was greatly troubled at the saying 
and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She was perplexed. She was puzzled. The presence of an angel greeting her. So the angel says, and, and tries to comfort her, and says, do not be afraid, Mary. Old Testament language, do not be afraid. Mary, the Hebrew name is Miriam, which means exalted one. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. God has bestowed a special blessing on you, a special honor on you, Mary. And behold, so Gabriel's going to tell her three things that are going to happen to Mary. She's going to conceive, bear a son, and she's going to name the son. It echoes what we read in, in Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So Gabriel tells Mary, you will conceive in your womb, you will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, the Hebrew Yahshua, Yahweh's salvation. I think that's so fascinating. Our Emmanuel, our God with us, is our salvation. Then Gabriel goes ahead and he tells Mary five things about her son. And I think the echo here is from Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. So Gabriel says, he'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. And, and for the Hebrew, for Mary, that would have resonated. Uh, the somatic thought is that the son is a carbon copy of the father. Uh, the son of the most high uh, was equality with Yahweh. Third thing, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. We don't have time to go into the Davidic covenant, but here we see the fulfillment of God's covenant, his faithfulness throughout time. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And I read that as the reign over Israel during the millennial kingdom and thereafter. And Gabriel ends, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I think Gabriel is clearly speaking Old Testament language so that Mary knows. Mary knows he's speaking of the Messiah. So the camera pans back to Mary. We see this in verse 34. She says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It reads as if Mary is, is aware and acknowledges that the fulfillment of this is near term. It's at hand. But she's just like puzzled. How can this be? I have not been with a man. I have not been intimate with a man. How can I bear a child? She did not understand. And so Gabriel tells her in verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit will come upon Mary and somehow cause the pregnancy. The means by which it happens, God clouds. He masked. We see this time and time again in the Old Testament. When God wants something concealed, he masked it. He clouded it. Therefore, the child to be born, conceived of the Spirit, will be called holy, the Son of God. Not polluted by human nature, he'd be a carbon copy of all the Father's qualities. You know, if you go back and, and read the, the passage in uh, Luke 5 uh, through 25, the story of Zechariah and his encounter with, uh, with Gabriel, 
Zechariah, out of unbelief, asks for a sign. Here, Mary, with belief, doesn't ask for a sign. She just simply asks for explanation. And so Gabriel gives the sign that God uh, provides. And behold, this is in verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. This young woman, perhaps 13 years old, overlooks potential shame, potential ruining of her marriage, the uh, potential blemishing of her reputation, perhaps death, or a a life of of poverty uh, being uh, cast out. She puts all of that into the hands of a sovereign God. And she says this, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. What an act of faith. Yeah, amen. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary responds in faith, and the angel departed. So there we come to the end of of scene one, the gift, which we see taking place in the town of Nazareth of Galilee. Scene two unfolds beginning in verse 39, and we're going to break this up into two parts. We have act one, and we have act two. Act one is with uh, Mary heading down to Judah to affirm the, the, the gift provided. Uh, as she visits Elizabeth. And then Act 2, we're going to spend some time on uh, Mary's response in terms of uh, her response of faith in the song. Uh, So starting in verse 39, it says this, In those days Mary arose and went with haste. Okay, you got this 13, 14-year-old girl. She she can't go grab the keys of her dad's pickup truck and drive on down to uh, 75 miles, miles down to the house of Elizabeth. Women didn't travel alone in those days, let alone a young woman. So somehow she gathered the people up and she made the three or four day journey down by foot to visit Elizabeth. Into the hill country to a town in Judah. And continuing in verse 40. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Remember, if you go back and read that that passage 5 through 25, Gabriel tells Zechariah that the baby will be filled with the Holy Spirit while in the womb. So the baby obviously, through the Spirit, recognizes Mary, who she is. And Elizabeth, now filled with the Holy Spirit, says this. She exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Wow. First, Elizabeth recognizes the, 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 the superior blessing that's been bestowed upon Mary. And secondly, she encourages her. She's a young virgin. Keep that in mind. Keep in mind what could be going on in, in Mary's mind at this point in time. So she acknowledges a superior blessing, and then she also encourages Mary. Now, I don't know if Mary was pregnant at this point in time. The, the scripture doesn't say so, but, but I'll give you my interpretation. I think she was. I look back at verse 38 and it says, let it be to me according to your word. So it it seems to me that at this point when she's visiting Mary, she was pregnant. But again, I'm not going to read into scripture. So I guess I'll have to find out uh, when I'm in heaven what the answer to that one is. But I I do find that that fascinating. And so anyway, uh, Elizabeth continues in verse 43. She says, and why is this granted to me? Remember now she's filled with the spirit. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Again, she's just echoing um, Mary's faith in this whole process. What a great, great example. And so we move on now to Act 2. In Act 1, we saw a response in faith as Mary physically went down and affirmed the sign given to her, and in so doing, she received more. Here in Act 2, we see her responding in faith by praising God, what's known as the Song of Mary, uh, also known as the Magnificat, which we get from the first line that says, my soul magnifies the Lord. But in my research, this is not my stuff, this is uh, in the research that I did on, on this passage, I ran across... Um, a list of familiar worship songs associated with various professions or situations. I'm going to let you see if you can't guess some of these. Y'all know the dentist hymn? Any dentist in here? Crown him with many crowns? No? How about the seamstress's hymn? Holy, holy, holy? Oh. Was that you, David? No, it was you, Sandy. Okay, thanks. Appreciate it. How about the tax man's hymn? I surrender all. The fisherman's hymn, shall we gather at the river? The watch repairman's hymn, I need thee every hour. Or the day you find out you're pregnant. Oh, happy day. So here we see in verses 46 through 55, Mary's song. Song of joy, song of rejoicing in her blessing that's been bestowed upon her. So let me set this up into, uh, into three pieces. First of all, I want you to note this. I want you to note that Mary clearly knows the Old Testament. Uh, there are parallels here to the Song of Miriam, which you'll find in Exodus after Israel uh, leaves Egypt and their triumphant exit out of uh, Egypt. I think there's a lot of strong parallels to the Song of Hannah, which you'll find in, in 1 Samuel regarding the, the the birth of her son Samuel. Uh, you'll also see a lot of uh, Old Testament allusions uh, to the Old Testament. Uh, the, the book of Psalms, I looked at Psalm 34, 35, 69, and 103. We'll, we'll read a couple of those as we go through this. Uh, she also speaks of God's character in, in Old Testament biblical terms. Uh, here in your Bible, you're going to see the word mercy. Uh, that's going to be the, the Greek translation. The, the, the Hebrew word that they're translating is, is the, the word hesed, which can be translated mercy, but it also speaks to God's steadfast love. <clears throat> she speaks to God's promises. Uh, and so, I, I just, again, I just think contextually, Mary knew the Old Testament. Uh, what a great lesson for all of us to be in God's word, to, to hide it uh, in your heart. The second thing that I want to draw your attention to is, is uh, you go through this. I, yeah, you see a lot of uh, Jewish uh, poetic structure in here and, and parallelism and, and that sort of thing, but I also see this as a prayer, um, a prayer that, that I need desperately in my life. Um, Mary was in the midst of scandal, right? She is pregnant by not her fiancé. She's a virgin that is pregnant, and I mean, that's the scandal, a teenager engaged, pregnant, not pregnant by the one she's to marry. She's facing, you know, even perhaps death, divorce, poverty, shame. Yet, she doesn't pray for a way out. 
If it were me, I'd be praying for a way out. I'd be praying for a fix. Hey, fix this problem for me, God. I don't want to face this. She doesn't. That's not what she does. Because Mary learns a very simple truth. There's no better place to be than in the will of God. No better place to be than in the will of God. So the third thing is, let's just take a look at the structure of this. I, I've divided it in three parts. You'll look in your commentaries. They might divide it in four, but um, I just put it in three. Uh, verses 46 to 48, she, she expresses her heart, heart for what God has done. Then in 49 through 53, she glorifies God. I, I like what Mark Twain once wrote. He wrote, he wrote uh, this. He said, the, most, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. The day you're born and the day you find out why. Mary knows why she's born. She's born to glorify God, right? Same as with us. We're born to glorify God. Now, your life might be a train wreck. It might, might feel like a train wreck. And, and I don't, I don't want to sound flippant uh, or, or just skip over this in any way. I, I say this with all sincerity. And so in your situation, glorify God. That's what we're, we're here to do, to glorify God. God has allowed that train wreck in your life. Glorify him. And then the third thing is uh, in verses 54 and 55, she, she speaks of, of God's faithfulness. So let's begin, in verse, <clears throat> let's begin in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. My life, my essence, my all magnifies the Lord. I think the uh, NASB says, my soul exalts. The NIV probably says, my soul glorifies. Those are perfectly good uh, interpretations. The Greek word here is megauno, which means to magnify. And we see it translated that way five of the eight times in the New Testament. I think uh, the other two or three, it's either to enlarge or, 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 or to make great. And, and I got to tell you, I struggled with the interpretation of this a little bit because I guess too quickly I read my soul is, is or Mary's soul is uh, the subject magnifies the verb. The Lord is the object. And I struggle with that. But contextually, the word magnify takes on uh, to deem or to declare greater. Uh, and so contextually, uh, that really fits. Matter of fact, if you went to the, the book of Psalms and looked at Psalm 34, verse 3, it would say, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. In Psalm 69, uh, 30, David writes, I will magnify him with thanksgiving. So David then and Mary now, uh, they're magnifying the Lord. They're, they're, they're basically having great and high thoughts of God. We cannot make God greater by what we think, Right? but we can't adore him more. We can recognize his greatness more, and that's what we, we, we do when we magnify him. So up front, Mary magnifies God, acknowledges his greatness even more. Continuing in 47, she says, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Joy in God. See that? Joy in God for who he is, for what he has done. God is her Savior. If you're a believer, rejoice in God. I find what's, what, what is fascinating about these two ver verses, uh, she exalts God, she rejoices in God, and uh, the God of her salvation. So the God of her salvation, whom she's rejoicing, she's carrying within her Yahweh's salvation. It just blows me away. Continuing then in verse 48, for he has looked on the humble, the state of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, God has looked on her. He's regarded her. Uh, he's mindful of her. And he's looked on her with favor and with grace. And I see no pride 
in this statement at all. She's raising God, she's lowering herself, that's what you call humility. And indeed, all generations will call her blessed, will call her blessed for her faith. Then in verse 49, we read on as she expands her praise of God from herself to outward. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I read from Zephaniah earlier, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And in verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 103. Verse 17, it says this, but the steadfast love, okay, here in, in, in Luke we see mercy. Here in Psalms we see steadfast love. That's the Hebrew word said. Steadfast love, loyal love, covenant love, sometimes translated mercy. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children's. His loyal love, his covenant love, the compassion that God has on his. Mary is recognizing that. And continuing then in verse 51 of Luke, going back to Luke 51. <laughs> and I love this part because um, Mary starts singing again, very um, Hebrewish, if that's a word, uh, showing contrast. 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary sings this very basic biblical truth. God's economy is not the world's economy. God's economy is not the world's economy. And lastly then, we get to verses, uh, verses 54 and 55, where Mary speaks of God's faithfulness. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Again, his has said, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God is faithful through the ages. Amen? All right, well, let me uh, wrap this up by drawing three quick implications um, from this very long passage. Number one, God gives good and perfect gifts. The gift to the wise men, the gift to the shepherds, the gift to Mary next week, the gift to us. You know, James wrote in his uh, epistle, James 1.17, he says, God gives good gifts, God gives perfect gifts. He says, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. It's from above coming down from the Father of lights. I'll just translate that. Every good gift, that means every useful and beneficial gift. Every perfect gift is a flawless gift. Only God gives good and perfect gifts. I, I can't think of a more useful, more beneficial gift than Jesus. I can't think of a more perfect gift than Jesus. That's what God does. He gives good and perfect gifts. Number two, God exalts the humble. You know, if you look in the, the book of Proverbs, it says this, toward the scorners, he is scornful, 
but to the humble he gives favor, he gives grace. Think of humble Mary receiving the favor of God. Um, Peter wrote in his first epistle, he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that the, at the proper time, at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Isn't that what Mary did? Behold, I am a, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'll give you a Christmas visual. Paul writes in Corinthians, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. God exalts the humble, so humble yourself. It has nothing to do whether you're rich or poor. By his grace, for his grace, live an attitude of gratitude, accepting what God has allowed or what he gives. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works. Therefore, we can live a thank you life and not a have to life. Number three, God desires a receptive heart. Yeah, God sees the fruit, but he examines, he examines the root. He examines a man's heart. I don't know if you remember our study in 1 Samuel, the life of David, but uh, in Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And Solomon warns in Proverbs 4, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow springs of life. You see, God, he desires a, a receptive heart. So our big idea today is this. Joy springs forth from a receptive heart. So I'm going to challenge you this holiday season to, to think about it, things a little bit differently. I'm going to turn it upside down, twist it inside out. I know the Bible says it's better to give than to receive. But let me just add a prologue to that. It's better to receive that which you cannot give. It's better to receive that which you don't deserve. It's better to receive that which you cannot earn. It's better to receive that which you can only get. So this Christmas, I encourage you to receive. Receive God's gift. And when you do, I think you'll come to experience the reality that joy springs forth from a receptive heart. So maybe you're here today and uh, you don't know this Jesus, I want to encourage you to receive. We've been working through the Gospel of John, and 99 times he says, believe. Receive the good news of Jesus Christ. Faith alone and Christ alone. That's it. I know many of you today here are believers, so I want to encourage you this Christmas season to continue to receive. Receive him into every aspect of your life. Just like Mary I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Live the thank you life of grace, not the have to life of works. It's all about God's amazing grace. Sourced in the gift. Receive it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We come to you by faith, Lord. For who you are, for what you have done, Lord. We just, we just give you praise. Lord, I just pray that during this Advent season that uh, we may be ever mindful, ever mindful of your grace, your favor, your blessing, your unmerited favor on us. Matt read that 
piece, the blog piece, that says that um, we're the reason for the season. Jesus, you're the reason we celebrate this season, but yes, Lord, we are the reason for, for you. We need you. Lord, just may we be mindful that this time of year, Jesus came. He was born to die. Um, he raised to conquer. He ascended to rule. You are the perfect gift, Lord, and we are so thankful. So thankful that you love the world so much that you gave your only begotten Son, Son of the Most High, the Son of God, Jesus, so that by believing, we have eternal life. No more needs to be said than that. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, look, folks, you all be great. Um, let me just end with a benediction, if you don't mind standing. And while you're standing, I'm going to give you a little background. Um, I was going to end uh, with the benediction that, that Paul wrote uh, to the uh, Ephesians. Uh, he ends it with grace to you and so on and so forth. But something came a, a, across my path yesterday, and so I, I changed it. In, in John, the Gospel of John, in his narrative of the Incarnation, remember chapter 1, verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh, and the flesh dwelt among us. Then down in verse 16, he says this, and, and it just, it just kind of echoed. It says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. So I'm going to make up a benediction. Receive his grace. You're dismissed. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.